morning once again. Um, I'm going to start from Proverbs chapter 16, verse 2. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Father, we pray that today as we open your word, you would speak powerfully to us. And Father, we pray that your presence would rest in this place and on your people's hearts. And Father, that our lives would be changed because we have encountered the face of Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Um, over the last several weeks, we've been in this series um, talking about these little bits of wisdom from the book of Proverbs that are supposed to enhance and give life to us as we follow Jesus. Um, and what we've said in this series is your ability or inability to make wise decisions over time will have a major impact on your life. Your ability or inability to make wise decisions over time will have a dramatic impact on your life. And for most of us, we know it's true because we've either lived through the bad choices and bad decisions that we've made, and we've looked back and thought, well, if I could just change this or have done this differently. And for others, we watched other people make those decisions and make those choices that we think, well, what were you thinking and why couldn't you just go back and do it all over again? And so the Proverbs here in chapter 16 says, all a person's ways seem right to them, but motives, your motives, why you do what you do, are weighed by the Lord. So the question I want to wrestle with for a few minutes this morning is why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? Because the assumption that we're going to begin with is that your motives matter. Why you do what you do matters. And so I want to um, just kind of, as we start, I want you to confess something. Everyone. Okay? And, and here it is. I, I th do we, can we get that up on the screen, Parter? Here, here's your confession. Everything I do, or, and let me, I believe, let's start right there. I believe everything I do is right. I believe everything I do is right. So I'm, I'm going to give some of you um, permission to be really honest with the person sitting next to you. So turn to them and tell them, I believe everything I believe is right. Go ahead, come on. It, it feels good, I promise. See, see, look, there's no need for Prozac or anything like that. Just that confession feels good, doesn't it? I believe everything I do is right. And here's the thing, you do. 
There's probably not a single person in here who makes a choice, who does something, because they believe at the time they're doing that it's wrong. You make your choice, you make your decision, simply based on the, the perception as you look at the situation that right now, I think this is the best choice, the best decision, the wisest decision I could make at this time based on all the circumstances and based on all the information I have. Every single one of us makes decisions based on that. And so you do something at that time and you're thinking, well, that was, that was definitely great. And you look back a, a little bit later and you think, oh, <laughs> Maybe that wasn't the best choice or the best decision. But at the time, when we were in the middle of that decision, when we were in the middle of that choice, we believed that that was the best thing we could do. And there are times when we think, well, maybe this isn't the absolute best thing I could do, but the means will justify it in the end. Like where this is going to get us to. If I tell the little white lie right now, yes, it might not be the best thing to do, but it's going to save the relationship. And so therefore, with everything I have in mind, I believe this is the right thing, the best thing that I could do at this time. So here's the question for you this morning. Is it possible to deceive yourself? There's several passages um, We, we got nothing, do we, Parker? Okay, hey, just turn, turn that off. You can put Shiloh up there. and I don't need it, I don't think. Um, so, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Do not deceive yourselves if any of you think you are wise by standards of this age. You should become fools so that you may become wise. So, so wisdom. Um, James chapter 1. Do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourself. Do what it says. And then 1 John. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So it's possible in some areas of your life to deceive yourself. But the question, is it possible to deceive yourself when it comes to your motives? When it comes to the, the reason behind why you do what you do, is it possible to deceive yourself? Because what the proverb writer says, that a person's ways seem right to them. Everything I do, I believe everything I do is right. But is it possible to deceive yourself? So that even though this is not the wisest, best thing you can do, that you deceive yourself to the point that you believe it is. Why do you do what you do? So all our ways seem right to us, but he says motives are weighed 
by the Lord. Now, here's the problem with motives. No one sees them. In fact, no one knows what your motives are other than you. Because when you walk around, people don't just look and say, well, well, I see your motives. I mean, you don't put on your motives like you put on a shirt. Motives are internal. They're, they're hidden. And it's the reason we do why we do. And what the proverb writer says is those are weighed by the Lord. We live in a world that loves Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. And psychologists have determined that there is a really significant thing that happens psychologically and chemically in our body when we put something on social media and someone hits the like button. It's the allure of the like. That we want people to see us. And really it's the very most basic primitive desire that we begin our life with. It's why your kids follow you around, dad, 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 are you watching me? Dad, do you see me? Dad, do you like what I did? Dad, mom, look at me. Look what I'm wearing. Mom, I picked this out. Mom, watch what I can do. Let me see. And we think that when we become eight or nine, we start to grow out of it but we don't. And really, when we hit like adulthood and you get to be 18 or 20 or 25, that it just stops, but it, it really doesn't. My, my guess is that you didn't get dressed this morning and think, I don't care what I look like. You got dressed and you hoped that people would see you and you hoped that people would notice you. And you put things on Facebook or Instagram or YouTube and you want people to like them. And we've tied our worth and our value into the way that that makes us feel. Because we want people to see us and to like us. Why do you do the things that you do. So psychologists would say there's two types of motivation. There's extrinsic motivation, the outside forces. So things like fear and punishment or reward and praise, that we do those things because we want people to see us or because we're afraid of how people might respond. But then there's the intrinsic motivation, what comes from the inside, how we feel when we do something. But I would also think that a love for Christ would fall into that as well. That we do certain things either because of in, intrinsic, which is inside, or extrinsic motivation. And one of the greatest temptations you face as a follower of Jesus, or just simply as a human being, is to spend more time Focusing on the outside than on the inside. To focus on the outside because this is what everyone sees. And to neglect 
the inside that no one sees. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, addresses this motivation. This motivation and questioning where it comes from. In chapter 6, starting in verse 1, he says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do, and in the synagogues and on streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret, and then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He begins with, be careful. This warning Be careful not to do this to be seen by others. And what's really interesting in this is just a chapter later he had said, hey, do all this, you're the light of the world. Do all this so that people will see you and glorify your Father in heaven. So how is it that he tells you just in chapter 5 to do this so that you can be seen by others? And then he turns around and says, be careful not to do this to be seen by others. What is the motivation? What is it that compels you? What is it that pulls you forward? What is it that makes you do these things? And he uses giving and fasting and praying. Things that have been staples in the Judeo-Christian faith from the very beginning, from the foundations of it. When you give, when you fast, and you pray, be careful in how you do it. Isn't that interesting? I mean, we were always taught growing up, do this, this is good, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. And what Jesus says is, be careful when you do this. Be careful when you do this, because if you aren't careful in how you do it, the why you do it will become more important than what you are doing. But the question is, well, who is it important to? Because if you're giving and someone hasn't eaten in days and you decide, you know what, I'm going to give them something to eat. For the most part, I would imagine they don't care what your motives are in doing it. If they're hungry and have not eaten and you give them food, unless you're wanting something unreasonable in return, they probably don't care what your motives are. They're just happy that they're getting to eat. So then why and who does it matter to? You see, this is not about them. This is about you. And this is really about something else than just simply giving and fasting and praying. 
Back earlier in chapter 3 in Proverbs, we looked at several weeks ago, he said, guard your heart. Because from it, everything else in your life flows out of it. This is about that. Your motivation in doing what you do is really about guarding your heart. It's really about protecting who you are. Here's the problem. When your motivation is really what you're doing and what I'm giving and how it makes me feel or the praise that I receive or the punishment that I don't get, then what in effect you're doing is you're using that person. And that person becomes nothing more than an object to fulfill what you think you need. Have you ever thought about that? It's possible to give something to someone and in doing so, use them. Use them to make yourself feel good. Use them so that you look good. Use them so that everyone sees what you do or what you did and looks at you and says, wow, like. Now let's just be honest. That feels pretty good, doesn't it? It feels pretty good when someone looks at you and says they like what you're doing. It feels pretty good when someone praises you for your ability. It feels pretty good when we see that like button light up because we justify ourself and our worth and our value by it now here's the problem when you lose sight of the vertical identity you have been given you will shop for it everywhere horizontally When you lose sight of the vertical identity that you have been given, you will shop for it everywhere horizontally. And you will allow other people and other things to tell you what your worth and your value is. And that is not their price to name. So many times, why we do what we do is about us and not the person we're giving to. And Jesus says, be careful 
be careful when you do this. Because if you do this to be seen by others, if you do this to feel better about yourself, that you're going to fall into this trap of pride. And once it grabs hold of you, it will not let go. And over time, you will become the person you swore you never would. Because your motivation has lost its focus. So, he gives this little caveat. How is it that we keep our motivation in check? And he says in verse 3, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your path. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your path. You see, this is really a question of motivation. Commit everything you do to God, and he will establish your path. See, we were born with this sense of self-preservation. Take care of me. Make sure I'm okay. Make sure I have what I need. Make sure my worth and my value is okay. But the way of the cross is not self-preservation. It's self-sacrifice. It's self-surrender. A crucified God does not say, I'm going to look out for me and take care of me first. A crucified God says, I'm going to lay down my life to give others life. And when you made the decision to follow Jesus, it was not just simply about him saving you. It was also about you committing to live this life of self-surrender as he did that I'm committing to live in his new world in a way that makes sense then in the kingdom that he is building. That I'm going to not worry about self-preservation, but I'm going to live in self-surrender. Which is probably one of the most difficult things you can possibly do. When, When you get right down to it, we want to protect ourselves. We want to take care of me first. And the gospel of the crucified Christ is that I am going to lay myself down for the good of others. My my motivation in that is not me. My motivation in that is simply your best interest. You know, you see people all the time debating and arguing. And I wonder, like, what, what's the motivation behind this? Is it really their good, or is it to make yourself look better? To make yourself look smarter? Or is it a sincere love for someone else? 
and a desire for them to know Christ. Why do you do what you do? There's this, this moment, if you remember the story of King David. And King David has been told he is going to become king. And he is running from Saul. Saul has 3,000 men. And he runs and he's hiding. And Saul goes into a cave, the NIV says, to relieve himself. The, the King James says, to covereth one's feet. That's the actual Hebrew translation, really. <laughs> to covereth with one's feet. He walks in to this cave. And David and his men are hidden in the back of the cave. And all of David's men are gathered around him. And they start whispering to David. They're saying, hey, this is it. This is the day where God said he was going to deliver Saul into your hands. This is the perfect opportunity. You can kill him right now. And it's okay. And then you become king. And David has the chance. And if he does it, Everyone can know why. And we can all justify that that was okay. God had delivered it. And right in that moment, when David has the chance to do exactly what everyone knows he should do, he does not kill King Saul. And instead, he cuts off the corner of his robe. And the very next verse says he was conscience-stricken. Why? Why would he be conscious stricken? I mean, his motivation, you could say it was God's word. God said, This is going to happen. I'm going to deliver the king into your hands. You're going to become king, and everyone knows it. And he doesn't. And he cuts off the corner of his robe, the tassels that remind us of the law. The law that says, thou shall not kill. And he doesn't do it. See, his motivation was something deeper than himself. His motivation was a sincere love for God and his word. And he was committed to that more than the way he saw all of this unfolding. See, our motivation has to move beyond this self-preservation to take care of ourselves, to protect our needs and become about self-surrender. So he says, commit whatever you do to the Lord and he will establish your plans. This word commit is galal. And it's a really interesting word because it means to roll up with. I just, to roll up with. 
To commit means to roll up with. Like who you are and what you're doing is rolled up with what God is doing. It's connected. It's concerned. It's the primary focus. It's what motivates you. See, your motives, they matter. But they don't just matter because you. I'm sorry, because of the person. They matter because of you. Jesus puts this warning label on them. Be careful. Because if you're not careful, if you don't guard your heart, pride and arrogance will set in. They will take root deep in your soul and they will begin to wreak havoc on your life. So commit all of your ways to the Lord. But if we're honest, that's pretty tough to do. See, we we like to commit some of our ways to the Lord. Because we still have our hopes and dreams. We still have our desires and our wants. We have all these things that we want to do and we think are important. And I think the word of Jesus would simply be, do you want to follow me? you want to be my disciple? you want to be like me? Do you want to be someone who's transforming and changing this world? And come and lay yourself down. And let me raise you up. I mean, that's, that's what Jesus did. He laid himself down was simply the hope that God would raise him from the dead. For us, we enter into baptism. And it's simply us laying ourselves down and saying, God, I need you to raise me up. And not only do I need you to raise me up, I'm also committing to live like you live this self-sacrificing, self-surrendering life in this world that you are building. That's what you committed to. That's that statement that you made. That's what being raised into a new life was really about. So the question this morning is why do you do what you do? Because your motives, your motives matter. Father, we pray today, as we leave this place, Father, we will be changed. That you will help us to keep our motives in check as we follow you. As we center and focus our life around you. Make us more like Jesus, your son. We pray this in his name. Amen. If you'd like to give your life to Christ, we invite you to do that this morning. If we could simply pray for you wherever you are, we'll have shepherds, ministry staff around the auditorium. Whatever you need, come while we stand and sing. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. 
Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still, have thine own Try me, Master, today. Whiter than snow, Lord, wash me just now. As in thy presence, humbly I bow. And thine own way. So today's kind of a special day for us, for our family. Um, Gracie, come on. Gracie is, we've been talking for the last um, probably two years, um, wanting to to give her life to Christ, and so she's going to be baptized this morning, and we are so excited and thankful for that. So I'm going to take her confession. Um, Gracie, do you believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died to give you life, to forgive your sins, to clothe you in Him, and to give you life eternal. I do. Awesome. So we're going to do this in just a minute. Um, also, Shane Cloud is, is back home. Um, yeah. Um, is I'm going to ask, um, we go get ready for the baptism, I'm going to ask David Litton if he would um, pray over Shane. Um, if, if you would like, we would love to invite you to come just surround him. Um, we're going to pray over him. We're so thankful he's back here, um, that we get a chance to support him and love him. And so come surround Shane, and let's pray. <clears throat> 